Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. So glad you're here today. Uh, so we're finishing up our series, Under Authority. Um, and and uh, what a, what a, thanks for setting me up, guys, to be like, don't be like Saul. Because uh, there, there are moments, you know, you're like, oh, man. Um, we do it the same. And so much of it's just beyond control. Life happens. Uh, so under authority, speaking of, like, I have had many Sundays where things got messed up. I remember one Sunday, I remember there are numerous things that got messed up, and I sent the pastor an email, and he was so going off the rails that he saw the email coming on his phone and read it before the church. Yeah, no, it wasn't great. Um, and then, like, and, and it did not go down well. It did not, no, for, no, for no one. So, like... Why is that? What happens? You know, we, what happens is we've been talking over the last few weeks how we have to be under spiritual authority, but there's, there's more to it than being under it. It's also being in it. It's also knowing when to serve in it. And the Bible actually gives this great story, this picture in the Old Testament of, of really three kings, and there's a great book on it. Our dream team leaders have been reading it, right, dream team leaders? Yeah. Right? Oh, come on, dream team leaders. Everything has gone crazy this week. Let's just talk, okay? Um, so, so, A Tale of Three Kings, it's a phenomenal book. It's kind of written like a play. It's a short, easy read. If you're like, I'm a dream team leader, I haven't read that. You were asked to. You can still get it. You need to have it read before next Sunday night. Okay, get through the book. It's a great, phenomenal book. And kind of considered like a Christian classic. I'm going to sum this up in kind of one fast sermon today. We're going to attempt to, okay? But... It gives the idea of Saul, David, and Absalom, and like the reflections of what their leadership looked like and who they were, and the heart of God in, in all of it, and what does God say. But they're just, anybody here ever experienced bad leadership? Please just don't point at me right now, okay? Um, and, and, and we all have, we've all been in that moment where you're like, man, this guy does not know what he's doing. Some of you have been in the military and you're like, I do not want to die with this guy because I'm pretty sure if he keeps leading, we're going to, right? Some of you know what that's like. It's, it's difficult and we don't know what to do. Some of us have been in leadership and we're like, I, I don't know what to do. You know, it's been on you and you're like, and, and then there's times you're in leadership and you're like, I don't know how to maintain a right heart here. I don't know how to keep my head on straight. They're just bad leaders. Years ago, I was on this mission trip. In, uh, I was in St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. You're like, nice mission trip. Pastor I did not pick it. I did not plan it. Matter of fact, I didn't even want to go. Our youth pastor planned like two or three mission trips that summer. My pastor pulled me in. I was the college pastor. And my pastor said, uh, you're going with on this trip. Our youth pastor cannot handle two, two to three mission trips alone. Um, he, he overbooked himself, and you're going with. And I was like, but I don't want to go. And he said, yeah, too bad. <laughs> and so, so we went to St. Thomas 
on a mission trip. Now, we were originally staying in very nice places. <laughs> and what happened is we got it, we got there, and we were on this, some, the guy who planned the trip had set up these condos that were literally on the ocean on a resort. And I was like, well, this is not bad. <laughs> you know, this is, I go do ministry and then come back to this at the end of the day every day. This is all right. But there's like 50 or 70 of us between about four condos. So you can imagine the resort did not care for that. And so what they did is they came back and, and they had to kick a bunch, of, a bunch of us off. And here's the best part. The youth pastors... Okay, now I had been a youth pastor for almost a decade at this point and moved into college ministry now. And, and what happened is several of us as leaders, we were told a chunk of you have to move to an apartment. Uh, we found an apartment you can go to and we can stick like 40 of you over there and we can be within the guidelines of the resort, Okay. So, what's going to happen is we're going to go over. Now, we were also told, and this apartment has no AC and almost no power. I was like, sign me up. <laughs> Let's go. But, but here's the best part. The youth pastors who planned this half vacation for them, <laughs> um, and they said, you know, we really need to stay back here with the girls and keep an eye on them, and just we just need to be in this place and make sure everybody's being watched out for. <laughs> and me and several of the other leaders were like, uh-huh, yeah, I'll go. <laughs> and, and I remember, and we filled it up, and it was so hot, okay? If you don't know, I like heat. But my body doesn't always like heat. So I, I actually don't mind heat outside. It doesn't really bother me. Okay, I was just, the last few weeks, I had to go to Dallas, I had to go to Orlando, uh, and it was hot. But outside, it doesn't bother me. Inside, heat bothers me. So I can't sleep very well in it, and I'm just, I just man, I, I've gotten heat exhaustion on mission trips in the Caribbean. And I'm, I'm here, and it is so hot in this apartment. We, me and one other guy decide we're going to take an inflatable mattress that goes on a pool. We're going onto the tile outside. The, this, and it's a balcony that is about the size of this piece of stage, four by eight. And we're like, at least it's outside and it's on top of a piece of cold tile. So we are sleeping out there. And we slept and we did that. And, and every morning at 5 a.m., the apartment... Okay, now this is St. Thomas, this is not, it's an American territory, but it is not America, okay? The apartment down here has several chickens and roosters, <laughs> you know, as apartments do. And so about 4 to 5 a.m., after a good solid five hours of interrupted heated sleep, uh, the, the, the thing would like, rah, 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 like, really? Really? And I am, I am, we're just getting through this week, one day at a time. And this other youth group that had come with us, they, they had this youth pastor who was, man, just a piece of work, okay? Our youth pastor was a good dude. His, his name was Mike. He was a great guy. I loved him. He was a, he was, and, and the truth is he could have handled those trips just fine, but um, uh, he'd been in the Coast Guard. I don't know why he couldn't do two mission trips, but anyway, <laughs> we're, but this, there's this other youth pastor there, and I won't say his name. Uh, they'll figure it out if they're listening, but they don't listen. So, <laughs> so he was 
awful. And he was the guy who was like, we got to stay and watch the ladies. Well, one night on the resort, one night there, okay, one, one guy from like England is there on vacation. And, and I don't know if you know, but sometimes people on vacation, they drink. You may not know that. Okay, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. They drink. And so this guy just gets totally wasted. Okay? Some of you, mom, what's wasted? They'll tell you later. So he gets very, very inebriated, and he's just going around the resort and, like, banging on doors and yelling, la, la, la. Now, so what would the smart move to be to do with, our, with your youth and yourself? You contact the authorities. You go in your room. You just wait it out. This man was not armed. This man was not hurting anybody. He was just belligerent out of it. You know, he needs Jesus and, and, and to sleep it off. And the other youth pastor decides to protect my girls. I've got to confront him. For a good hour, he keeps walking to where he is and standing in front of him. And I watched him slap and punch the youth pastor over and over and over. And I remember thinking, dude, what are you doing? Go to your room. <laughs> and and he, somewhere in his mind, he thinks, I am such a good leader right now. Because <laughs> I am turning my cheek from this guy and protecting. You know what else would have protected them and your face is a closed door. That's it. That's all he had to do. Just go in a room and close the door. He was protecting no one. And, 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 and all week long, I watched. And then he would, he would come from his comfy night in the condo, pick us up. And if you know anything about me, in the morning, I require coffee. Okay, and if you're like, uh, well, that's an addiction. Absolutely. And it is such a good one. It saves my life and it saves my family. It saves my marriage. Okay, so... so I'm on this trip, and day two or three, I'm like, man, I, I just, just, I'm sweating, I'm barely sleeping, we're working our tails off. Uh, it's the only time in my life I've ever sweat through a pair of jeans um, every day. Yeah, we're required to wear pants because the people that we're ministering to were like, they were like, uh, Shepherd Jill, they were like a strict Baptist, fam- Baptist ministry. And you're like, guys, you're in the Caribbean, like, put on a pair of shorts, it's okay, nobody's going to tell you. No, 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 do not, but no, no, nope, we had to go with pants, and, and so I just want a cup of coffee, and man, by day two or three, this other youth pastor, I was like, stop at the gas station again, I need a cup of coffee, and he'd be like, oh, and man, I was just like, it has, it has taken everything in the Holy Spirit for me not to just kill you. <laughs> you are sleeping in luxury, you are blind as a bat as a leader, uh, you have no clue what you're doing. And, and this, this trip is kind of a disaster, but we're ministering, so whatever. And sure enough, that guy went home early, <laughs> um, and, and shocker, he did not make it in ministry. He is no longer in ministry. He didn't make it as, like, and, and why? Is he a bad guy? Does he not love the Lord? No, he loved the Lord, but he doesn't know what he's doing. And nobody's discipled him in the concept of godly authority that's wise and compassionate and understanding and works, yes, works hard and puts itself in front of other people. But you know what? I don't put myself in the way of bullets when nobody's behind me. <laughs> I just walk away from bullets. <laughs> you know, like, I don't, uh, 
there's, there are powerful biblical leadership principles in the story of Saul, David, and Absalom. And it's not the whole story, okay? There's a lot more to these scriptures than just leadership principles. But there's some major ones. And so there's three kings. There's three kings, the first three kings of Israel. Now, up to this point, Israel has never had a king. Okay, God has delivered them, he's blessed them, he's given them the promised land, okay? This is before Christ, thousands of years before Christ, and they start being like everybody else, and they're like, we want a king, because every land around them had a king. And, and God says through the prophets, who are kind of their spiritual leaders, and he says, you don't want a king. You don't want to be like everybody else. Let me be your king, how many would be like, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it, to live in a place where God is actually king, right? That's what we do now when we become believers, but they didn't want it. They're like, no, 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 we like their governance. Look how good they have it. And God's just like, all right. And ultimately, God, God's such a merciful God. God is a compassionate God. All the trouble we have in life, virtually all of it, we just bring on ourselves. The devil gets some credit. We get a lot too. And finally God says, I'm going to give you a king. And the king's name is Saul. And he is an attractive guy, tall guy, built guy. And everybody likes Saul. But Saul keeps disobeying God through his kingship over and over and over. He keeps saying, "Uh, God, you're not showing up, so I'm going to do it. Saul-like leadership says, I'm taking it into my hands. A lot of times that's happened. We've had reports of like, oh, hey, we heard this person who was at Thrive this one time 27 years ago uh, may have uh, had a sexual past. You know what a lot of leaders do? Kill them. (laughs) Crucify them. And and I've learned over the years, like, we don't react. React always means something's coming back on us. Slow down. Be careful. Let's figure out what's going on. Okay? Now, we don't abdicate either, but Saul did that over and over and over to the point that Saul eventually, towards the end of his life, is conducting, is, 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 is communicating with a witch and conducting a seance with her to contact the dead prophet Samuel so he could connect with God, which if you don't know, God is not pro-witchcraft, okay? So if you're like, yeah, no, it's great. Like, no, God is not pro-witchcraft, Okay? God is anti-witchcraft. Talking to the dead, bad idea. And there's a whole cool teaching on this from the bondage breaker that basically like even, even the seance person in the end was freaked out because Samuel actually showed up. Well, why would the seance person be freaked out? Because the seance person has never actually talked to spirits that only think they have. The seance person has actually talked to demons and they've been deceived. When you mess with the spiritual realm, there's angels, there's demons, there's God, the devil, and that's it. There are no such thing as ghosts. I'm sorry. You're like, I believe in ghosts. Well, you believe something the Bible teaches against. Anyway, moving on, coming back, bringing it back. (laughs) All right, so at the end of the day, okay, Saul consults with this, which, and he's just leaving the Lord left and right. He's rejecting God and saying, "This this is my kingdom. Little before that happens, David, 1 Samuel 18, 9. From that time, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Here's what's happened. David killed Goliath. Saul wouldn't face him. The armies of Israel wouldn't face him. And David, this runt kid from the field, said, no, 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 this is not okay. 
This is not okay. And David says, I'll take him. And David takes out Goliath. And Saul keeps a jealous eye. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. Anybody here ever seen leadership mentally dissent? Watch them like it's like they're losing it more and more and more. Because when you don't keep your heart right in places of authority, your mind goes. Because the paranoia builds and builds and builds and builds. One of the things that's just kept me, now we're, obviously we're not a big church, we're not a giant church, but, and, and even more so for the guys and, and people who lead large churches or large things and large ministries, one of the things that can set in is paranoia. You start wondering about everything, but the one that keeps the heart right is the one that says, I don't need to be in control. And I'm not in control, the Lord is. My job is to just be faithful as I can be. Right? And that actually brings peace to your mind in places of authority. But Saul didn't do that. Saul kept saying, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand. So David would come to the palace and play his harp, play music. And, and, and it would minister to Saul, but here's what happens Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurls it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped twice. Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with David, and then turned away from Saul. So the spirit of Saul, I think, okay, in leadership in general that's broken, that, that, that is under a negative influence, really can summed up in one word, control. Bad authority must maintain control. Now look, you don't want a leadership who's out of control. That's bad also. But says, it's mine, it's mine, it's, it's mine. What they do is they start attacking those who are actually trying to serve and minister to them. It is destructive and hurtful and abusive and wrong, and God isn't okay with it. And some of us, including myself, there are times we may have to stop and repent of it. Now, you should also know, just... To, to, to tell you both sides, if you're ever in leadership, ever, anywhere, somebody somewhere at some point will call you a dictator. <laughs> because they, you will make a decision they don't like, therefore you're Hitler. You're not. <laughs> They're wrong. That's life. That's leadership. You, you learn to take those hits and you learn that that's part of the deal. But are we somebody, am I somebody, are we somebody, if we're in any kind of authority saying it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. How dare you take it from me? How dare you think you're the special one and I'm not? The spirit of Saul, the dangerous thing of Saul in our life is when we view leadership as mine instead of a stewardship of his. That should be on your screen. When we view leadership as, a, as mine instead of a stewardship of his. You know, we just sent... You guys know our, our oldest Colin two weeks ago took our oldest Colin to college and, and left it. And it's so hard because, like, we're sending, and yet it's also like we're releasing what was never ours. Our kids are a stewardship. Your leadership to them is just that. It is a stewardship. It is not ours. 
And the truth is nothing in life is ours. Nothing. If we're true followers of Christ, we begin to realize, I own nothing. God could take everything tomorrow. There's 87,000 more IRS agents than there were 78,000 two weeks ago. I'm sure it's just so they can do a better job. (laughs) Some of you are like, I think this is great. Good for you. Lord bless you. I wish I could live in your world. That's so adorable. But (laughs) I'm like, this is not good. They can come and take more stuff. And yet at the same time, like, God, I trust you. You know who's in charge. You know who's in authority. You know who's in government. Fine. And you will protect me and you will fight for me when everything's coming against me. But I also want you to notice this, please. Some people take this too far. David, David served Saul, but he did not take in his spears. He wasn't like, go ahead. <laughs> Kill me. No, he did say, uh, I think I'll dodge that and run. There are times when the spirit of Saul, here's what David never does. David never tries to take Saul's throne, but he also never tries to take his spear. Man, that was powerful. That was good. Well done, me. Thanks. Okay, so that type of idea, that mentality that it is not my job to take abuse, but it is my job to serve who God's put in authority. And David did that. David, do you realize, you probably don't know this, David ran from Saul for probably upwards of 18 to 21 years. Most of us would be like, why didn't he just vote him out? <laughs> you're, you're an American. God bless you. <laughs> that, that was not the system. Kingship was the system. One guy, one authority, that was it. Now, unfortunately, in churches, we adopt this same mentality and in another place in our life. But there is some truth there, isn't there? There's always a quarterback. There's always got to be somebody who's calling the plays. That's life. And you know what? The guy who's calling those plays, or lady, okay, we're egalitarian, all right, whoever's calling those shots, at times they're going to call bad calls. Does that mean they're an abusive and evil leader? No, it does not. We've become far too comfortable with a Freudian view of humanity that says we are all victims of a powerarchy. That's Marxism and Freudianism, and neither one are biblical. Is God okay with abuse? 100% no. Is God willing to take out every leader who blows it and makes mistakes? 100% no. I had to learn that in ministry over and over. There were guys who I was like, God, how can this guy possibly be in your service? Like, this person's a liar. This person's crazy. This person, you know, their ethics are off. And the Lord, you know, just began to whisper, like, Brian, so are yours. You're screwed up, too. You're broken, too. There is nobody in any position of authority anywhere across the face of the earth outside of Jesus who doesn't screw it up. Now, hopefully, we're not like Saul. and We're a little more like David that says, but God, help me not be like that. I don't want to chuck spears at those who are serving with me. I don't want to do it. Now, at times, I'm going to. And if I do, hopefully we'll work it out. Let me apologize. Maybe you need to apologize. Whatever. But it's not just thrive. I'm talking about at your job, in your home. 
wives, some of you know, like, well, my husband's not living up to his potential. Yeah. Welcome to humanity. Welcome to marriage. And no, does anybody here like the self-appointed leader? You know, in the home, like, well, you're not doing it, honey, so let, I'm going to do it. That's not a great idea. The Bible actually ordains the man as the head of the home. You, you not like me for that? I didn't make that up. It's in the Bible. You've got to take it up with the Lord. But however a man is or is not leading is how the family is being led. Well, he doesn't do it, so he's not the leader. I am. Incorrect. That's just how he's leading. Authority is powerful and ordained by God and holy. And it is corrupted with humanity, no doubt about it. But what if we said, God, I don't want to be like Saul. I don't want a spirit of control. Here's what David was. David was the opposite of that, most of it. David wanted to worship the Lord. The heart of David, right? Psalm 51, my sacrifice. Psalm 51, 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. David, even when he was king, this is actually written right after David falls morally, and he's been living in sin for like a year or two. And he gets confronted by the prophet Nathan. So David's been king a long time. He's been very successful. And then he decides to live in sin for a while. And God breaks him again. And he comes back to the Lord. Even after David dies, God says about David, he was a man after my own heart. Now David is a guy who used his power to sleep with another man's wife who was one of his mighty men who fought with him in the caves and ran from Saul with him. He took that man's wife, got her pregnant, and then tried to play it off to that guy as uh, it's your kid to try and get him drunk by bringing him back from war and get him to sleep with her. And the guy was so honorable he wouldn't even do it. And so then he sent the guy to the front lines and he had him killed like a coward. And then David lived that way for upwards of a year. And even after that, God says, he's a man after my own heart. You know what we would do? We would write books about him, podcasts about him. We would make sure he got an episode of Dateline. And we never want to see or hear from him again. And may he, may, you know, we would cancel him. That's what we would do. God doesn't. God says, cancel your sin or I'll cancel you. David weeps. And he says, I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. And the Lord sets him right. And sets him back up. Now David paid several things for the rest of his life and into generations for that. That's another conversation. But David becomes contrite. Godly authority is contrite of heart. It's another way of saying the heart of David, which is also a biblical way of saying a worshiping, humble heart to serve the Lord. We have to become like David in places of authority. We have to be like David in places under authority as well. It says, I am not doing this because of Saul. I'm not doing this because of my boss. I'm not doing this because of my wife or my husband or, or whatever. I'm doing this for the Lord. This is for Jesus. Everything I'm doing, God, it's for you. Let me remember that. What I'm about is Jesus. Above everything else, God, it's you. You see me here. A few years ago, I was working at a place, and somebody came to me, and they're like, I have a prophetic word for you. And I love this person. They, they meant one, but they're like, you're supposed to quit your job. And I was like, man, I, I think the Holy Spirit would have told me that. 
And I said, you know, I've actually been given a very different word lately. And the word I'd been given was right out of Scripture, when your enemy asks you to t- carry his cloak a mile, take it too. And they, and they, when I said that to them, they're like, you're right. You're right, that's a good word. Okay, do what the Lord told you to do. They weren't combative or anything. But I remember being like, man, uh, everything in me wanted to be like, I'm out. But it's not up to me. Now, eventually, the Lord released me, and it was time to go. And, and, and that was a great season, too. But the truth is, God was in both. He was in the serving and in the releasing. Too many of us are in this place where we're not like David and we're constantly like, well, God's released me from this church. Yeah, how long you been there? Six weeks. Good for you. <laughs> like, that's weird. No, he didn't. You just can't commit to anything. You can't be under authority. You're bad at it. Well, God's released me from this job. How long you been there? Uh, oh, 18 months. And how long were you at your last job? 19 months. How long were you at your job before that? 18 months, like this, like no, you might have an issue with authority and control. You don't have to be in authority to have the spirit of Saul, and you don't have to be, you don't have to be underneath to have the spirit of David. The spirit and the heart of David is really a reflection of who Jesus would be, the ultimate humble servant king come to lay his life down for all of us. That's what Jesus does. David begins to foreshadow that, to literally prophesy with his life the coming king who says, I'm going to lay down everything for you. You know what we would do with Jesus' form of leadership? would say, you know, everybody around you is toxic, Jesus. Stop serving them. They're going to kill you. Do you realize how toxic that is? You should get out. Maybe write a blog or a book and dealing with toxic people. Post about it. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to be killed. Now, fortunately, if anybody says, hey, let me kill you, you don't have to say yes to that. Jesus did that for us, okay? That's crazy, and that's a cult, okay? But, but Jesus is willing to go that far. David didn't try and take the kingdom, even though he could have multiple times, he could have taken out Saul, and he didn't. That broken, humble heart, no matter where we are, where God places us. If God elevates us, we stay broken and humble. When God takes us out, we stay broken and humble. When we're serving, we stay broken and humble. Doesn't mean we can't have issues with some things. Doesn't mean we disagree and we pretend like we agree. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the posture of the heart. How do you know if you have a broken heart before the Lord? If you fear God and have a broken heart, here, one, you can be confronted. People can talk to you about something and you're not combative. You're not like, you can't, do you know who I am? Because <laughs> I'm a big deal. <laughs> you cry. Can you cry in the Lord's presence ever? Can you cry when he ministers to you? Do you, do you do, uh, are tears, do you have any kind of emotional connection with those you might be leading or serving with or, or over or whatever, whatever your posture is, do you have, you admit you're wrong regularly. You're not afraid to say you're sorry. 
You know, years ago, I was taught, this is the, the sidebar, okay? Years ago, when I was a youth, I had a youth pastor who taught, you know, you can live sinless for a while. You can, you can. You can live without sin for a while because you have the Holy Spirit and you're a Christian now. And I carried that mentality for a while. And you know what? Never made me sinless, but it made me really prideful. And I got to Bible college, and a good friend of mine, Chris, we ended up having a big, giant debate over this for hours. Like, it almost came to blows. But I remember Chris won. Chris is really good at winning arguments. But he said to me, he said, he goes, let's, let's say for a minute you're right. Say for a minute you're right. Wouldn't you want to be humble enough to have the posture to ask the Lord for forgiveness daily anyway? And doesn't Jesus teach us, and when he teaches us to pray, to daily ask for forgiveness? If you aren't hurt, some of us leave so quickly things because we're hurt and upset. And it's like, man, imagine if the Lord did that with you. How many times do we break his heart and grieve him? And the Lord's like, it's all right, come here. It's all right, come here. It's all right, come here. Why don't we do that with his church and with, with people? Because we suck at forgiveness. We have become so entitled to our, our opinions and our rights and our feelings and, and our victimhood. No, keep that up. One more, guys. Keep that, put that back. You apologize to the Lord and others. Admit you're wrong, apologize. These are, these are the posture of a broken heart. And there are, don't get me wrong, there are times somebody's a Saul and they are dangerous to be with. If you have an abusive spouse, we've often counseled somebody to say, then you, you should move out. If they are hitting you and hurting you, you need to get away so that the Lord can get a hold of them and they can see the sin. But if you're like, they say mean things to me, they're verbally abusive, I usually would never counsel somebody to leave on that. Words are rough, but you're not going to die. Usually. Now again, we're individuals, every case is different. Okay, But we have made it far too easy to quit, to leave, and to justify it on so many platforms. And the heart of David just doesn't do that. The heart of David, the heart of a worshiper says, God, uh, everything I'm enduring and going through is for you and your glory and your namesake. And you're taking me somewhere. Keep me contrite. You know, eventually, even launching Thrive, but I had leadership say, hey, we give you the green light. We, we give you the thumbs up. And leadership alongside me. I was terrified to do it because I was like, God, I don't want to step into authority because I didn't want to be the last person. The last person's in Absalom. And here's the story of Absalom. And Absalom, the other danger, Absalom is David's son. Absalom, his life is summed up in one word, to, be com- to combat. 2 Samuel 15, in the course of time, Absalom proved himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He'd get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king to decision, Absalom would call out, what town are you from? 
He would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative to the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everybody who has a complaint or case would come to me, and I would see they receive justice. Also, whenever anybody approached to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. So here's what happened. David has numerous kids from different wives. This is, this is before God says polygamy is a sin. He always said it was a bad idea <laughs> from the beginning. We see that in Genesis throughout the whole Bible. But David has multiple wives, and, and, and one of those wives, they have kids. Absalom has a sister, and a half-brother of that sister falls in love with her, and eventually this, this guy rapes Absalom's sister. Absalom finds out about it, but King David, as we understand it, does nothing about it, ever. And that begins the sowing of the seed of Absalom's heart to want to destroy his father. Now, is Absalom right for his rage and anger? He saw, come on. Yeah. But Absalom works his way to eventually destroy the kingdom. Now, here's what I, I the Bible doesn't really say. I don't think Absalom, in the moment that his sister's rape and his dad does nothing, I don't think Absalom says, I'm going to take the kingdom from my dad. I don't think he says that. I think he says this is an outrage and something has to be done. And he's right, but he lets the offense and the outrage get into his heart, and he moves from a place of being contrite before the Lord to being combative. I have been in places of leadership. I have been under leadership where I couldn't receive anything they had to say anymore because I was so frustrated with some things they'd done. It was, that was a bad place to be. And I've been there. I've been there more than once with more than one leader. And that was my fault. And I did it several times. You know why I did it several times? Because I had to learn the lesson several times. Because <laughs> I didn't get it all the time. And I became, at times, unintentionally combative. And I've been in that position, too. I had a youth leader in a, in a town one time as I'm a youth pastor. Um... You, you, my friend, my friends from Amory are here. They were, they were, uh, they were not in this meeting. And had you been, stuff probably would have went down. But, but it was going into our first year. And here's what happened. I was called into a meeting with my pastor and all the youth leaders and an elder and my wife and I. And a guy who was one of the youth leaders who'd been just growing and being a problem. And I could tell, like. You know when something's spiritually wrong? Like, you can't say it's this, it's this. But you're just like, something is wrong. Sure enough, this guy came into the meeting with a list. He had a yellow legal pad and pages of everything I'd been doing wrong for months, in his mind. So as you could tell, it was a really good meeting. <laughs> and a lot of times, most everything he said, I, I, I had to defend myself, and my wife wept. But God used it because here's what happened. Within months, that guy, 
uh, he ended up dating a youth. He was in his 30s, and he ended up dating a youth. He ended up marrying her. But the church kicked him out of the church. And I remember saying, but it's like God used this moment where I was on trial and then said, just hold on, keep serving, keep following me, hang with me. And I remember because I had so little favor with that pastor. It was so hard for so long. And I just remember getting on my face saying, God, please, do something, do something. And I had nowhere to go. And, and I, had I had somewhere else to go, I probably would have. Praise God for when he doesn't give us an out. And when he says, I'm not going to give you an out, but I'm going to get you through. And sure enough, by the time I left that city and that place and that time, God had moved so powerfully. I prayed at the beginning before I left. Because when I first got there, I would hear about the other successful youth pastors and, and a couple of the bad ones. By the time I left, and this was my prayer, that pastor was saying, that is the best youth pastor I've ever had. Now, God did that, not me. God moved on my behalf. But that spirit of Absalom, it can get inside every single one of us. You know, we belong to the assemblies of God. And there are times we have leadership, state and national, they do things I don't like. But, you know, I've begun to learn and grow and respect and honor. I don't know what I don't know. Sometimes I make a decision and I'm like, I do not like that decision. <laughs> but I don't know what, th- what they know. And there are things they're doing that I don't see. And Lord, I'm going to trust you with that. I'm going to trust you with them. <sighs> the hardest thing is when God doesn't take out the person that seems like God should take out. But if our hearts are right, the day they're taken out, we're broken for them, not rejoicing. Because I watch when those people were taken out. When that happens, it's never a rejoicing moment. It's a merciful God who lets them stay and endures with them and hangs in there with them. There are sometimes, thank God for, for organizations that find somebody and, and Kimmy and Eric know better than probably most who find a family that says, these kids don't belong here, They're, their lives are in danger. Thank God for when God, governance acts godly and does that. Thank God. But then there's other times it doesn't. They did that to my family. They illegally kidnapped our daughter when she was born. And we fought and we won because what they did was illegal. Sometimes governance is bad. But in both cases, God knows. And I trust him. I don't say, well, you're not supposed to tr-. I trust God. I don't trust all authority. I probably do not trust our current administration very much. But I do very much trust the Lord. Some of you are like, they're great. Okay, good for you. But I don't. If I'm honest, there's really no politicians I trust. <laughs> I don't look at any politician, I'm like, they're a good guy. <laughs> They're just telling me the truth. But that's okay. Right? That's okay. Because I trust the Lord. Are you, the beautiful thing about living here in this nation versus any, you get to have a vote. You get to have a voice, and that's a good thing. Do it. Vote your convictions. You can share them. You're welcome to have your opinions. It's one of the beautiful things about living here. But it's also one of the negative things as believers because we get in in our heads 
that we can apply that to all things, and those aren't kingdom principles, they're American ones. Guard our hearts from being an Absalom. The moment you resent leadership in your heart and are rehearsing how differently you would do so many things, you're in the place of an Absalom. Let me say that again. It should show up on the screen. The moment you resent leadership in your heart and are rehearsing how differently you would do many things, you're in the place of an Absalom. And it's not a place you want to be. Not a place I want to be. And I have been there. I've been all the things. And we all will. You will all get there at times. But you aren't protecting yourself from that leader. You're guarding your heart away from what God wants to do in your life. And that's a bad place to be. It's a holy thing to come under authority. It's also a holy thing to step out in authority when it's time. And why don't we treat that with a little more honor and reverence? So this coming up, we have September 1st to the 21st. We're doing this thing called Fast Forward. 21 days of seeking and reaching. This is supposed to be and meant to be a time of consecration and commission to go. To say, God, I want to seek you but I also want to see you move. Now, some people would be like, well, I would do it this way, and I would do it that way, and you should do it this. And you, and you know what? You might be right. Unfortunately, I'm the one who <laughs> has to make the call at the end of the day. And I think this is a good moment and season. So it's not tomorrow, and it's not next week. It starts September 1st through 21st, 21 days of seeking the Lord, with our whole heart, in fasting and in prayer and in outreach. What if, we took, what if we took ourselves for 21 days and said, God, make me a little more like David in this time. Break my heart again and make me contrite before you. I want to know you. I want to hear from you a little more. So you can fast a lot of different ways. We're going we're gonna to close with communion this morning. This table, what does this table represent? You don't have to be a member of Thrive to take this. You don't have to have been baptized. This is all about Jesus. What you do have to do is believe that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. Believe that before you take this. But this is a moment of consecration. So when we come up today, we have a sign up and we have communion. And I want you to stop and think and pray, God, set me apart. And I can keep growing. I can can be better. I can be closer to you. I can hear from you more. And I want to. I want to be more like David and a little less like Saul and Absalom. I want to be more of a heart of a worshiper than I am the heart of a leader. I want to look more like you and a little less like me. That's what this 21 days is about. I want to know you more and make you known. That's it. This isn't a growth push. I don't know if you know this, but pastors and people don't grow a church. The Holy Spirit does. We sow seeds. God sends rain and God sends sun. We, we, just, we just get out there. 
but it is the we. It's us saying, God, I'm seeking you. So, so for some of you, you've never fasted a day in your life. I'm not asking you to fast 21 days. I'm asking you, take a day. So we've got every day, September 1st through the 21st, and we want to cover all 21 days with who's here. Now, you should know I'm going to fast the 21 days. What I'm going to do is probably a Daniel fast, which is it's in, the, in, the, in the book of Daniel, and, and he takes the season, and he just eats basically fruits and vegetables, no sugar, no dairy, uh, no, no extras, no meats um, for the 21 days. I've done it many times, doing it again. You're like, you don't look like it. But I have, and I do, and, and I'm looking forward to it because that season where you're just focused and seeking the Lord. Some of you never fasted a day in your life. I think the first time I fasted, I was 15. And, and I remember halfway through the day calling my youth pastor like, I am starving. <laughs> Can I eat now? I fasted a lot today. And he, he was just so like, I didn't even know you were doing that. Good for you, man. That's up to you and the Lord. I don't think I made it through the day that day. But I made it through others. And why? We, we, some of you, you, you have dietary restrictions. You can't not eat for 24 hours. It would physically harm you. Then, then don't do that. That's not what we would ask of you. Maybe you fast social media for that day. Maybe you fast media in general. Maybe you fast, you know, a food you really like. I, I don't know. That's between you and Jesus. We don't set those standards. We don't set those rules. What I'm saying, I, we're even as a worship team talking about how we're, we want just a little more time where we can, if, God, if God's moving, we can linger. We can hang there for a minute. Why? Because I want to get to the heart of David. I'm not trying to contrive anything here, but I want to be a worshiper. I want to be broken before the Lord so that when he takes me, when he tells me to step out in faith, when he elevates me, when he, I am still broken before him. He's my everything. And seasons like this, moments like this, they do that for us again. We step back into, God, you are my everything, but I need a reminder that you're all I need. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. Oh